Um, if you are, uh, if you're new to COA, back in 2009, everybody who's been around knows this, but back in 2009, uh, I had a sudden cardiac arrest one night uh, in my sleep. Um, I'll spare like the long drawn out details, just share with you I'm okay. Um, but basically woke up, uh, my wife woke up, uh, gave me CPR, um, and by God's grace, I am uh, okay today. But what I do have the, from that whole experience uh, is what's called an ICD or uh, internal cardioverter defibrillator um, in my chest right there. That's, uh, I, when they put it in, I said, I asked my doctor, I said, does that mean I'm a cyborg now? Um, he said, technically, yes, but um, it's not as cool as Iron Man or anything like that, but um, <laughs> they did put it in. What's, what, what, um, what's interesting about that, like, it's a, it's a sign on my body, right? Like, it's, I, I'm standing in front of the mirror with my shirt off, I see it. Like I, I think about it. It's it's there. Now I don't don't feel it that much anymore, but um, I'm reminded regularly that it's there. Um, and the the purpose of it being there was it was designed to to monitor my heart and and, and shock me if uh, if it's needed. Now it hasn't gone off, fortunately, um, but it's there. And the the company that makes it, Medtronic, um, stands behind that. That's the, the purpose of it. Um, and, I, and let's, you know, I'll just tell you, when he told me that they were putting it in and he explained what the purpose is, if he had said, you know, uh, Medtronic kind of says, we think it'll work, but hey, we're not sure. We don't know. Like, that kind of changes how I think about this uh, thing being in my chest. It changes uh, how Teresa goes to sleep at night with me. Um, because she, you know, it was a shock for her to, to uh, experience that, and she doesn't want to have to experience that again. And knowing that Medtronic is a legitimate company, a real significant company, uh, gives it even more weight. Um, if some guy in a local electronics store said, "Hey, I made this thing, um, and I, you know, you should you should put it in your chest. It'll 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 restart your heart if it stops." That's very different than a $114 billion company that says, we have put research and development into this for decades, and we're going to put this in your test. That changes my perspective quite a bit. Um, Today in this passage we're looking at in in Genesis 17, God knows that uh, Abram and all of God's people, including us, needed a sign, a reminder of, of God's faithfulness. And that in fact, that, that it was he that stood behind it. It wasn't just something that a human being came up with. Like, um, honestly, it's, it's kind of interesting. The, sign of, the signs of Christianity, if you will, that, that God gives of, of his covenant with us, are not the, it's not the cross. It's kind of interesting, but the cross is not the sign that God establishes. God establishes two signs uh, within the church. One is baptism, and the other is communion, or the Lord's Supper. Um, and so God wants us to know that he stands behind those, that he stands behind these signs. And in this passage today, God establishes uh, for Abram uh, his promises and then gives him the sign of circumcision, which um, has been um, a sign of the Jewish people. Abram was set apart as uh, and circumcised and God literally um, said, you will circumcise your, your sons and sons and sons and on down the line. And for us today, um, we'll be kind of looking at this from the, uh, uh, in comparison to God's um, establishing baptism and communion for us. So I'm going to read Genesis 17. I encourage you to follow along on your app or your Bible uh, or on the screen. And then when I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And I res- uh, invite you to respond with saying, thanks be to God. When Abraham was 99 years old, 
the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring and, a- and after you throughout their, their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an eternal possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought bought with your money uh, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is brought, bought by your, with your money shall surely be circumcised. So, so shall my covenant be in your flesh and an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He, shall, he has broken my covenant. And God said, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come for her. Uh, Then uh, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. This is the first time, by the way, there's very specific, you have a, how, the, how this blessing will come. You'll have a son, his name will be Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have told you, behold, I have blessed him and make, will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, <clears throat> and all those born in his house, and brought uh, with it, bought with his money, and every male among the men of Abram, Abraham's house, And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son, Ishmael, were circumcised. All the men of the household, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. This is the word of the Lord. I know you were thinking I'd, you'd come to church this morning and hear the word circumcised 113 times at the beginning of the sermon. Um, but we're just reading God's word. This is in scripture. Um, and so what, what we see is that, that circumcision is a sign. But um, before we get to the sign, I want us to see God reiterates the blessings of the covenant. And then we see the sign of the covenant and then a reiteration of the grace of the covenant. That's what we're going to walk through today. Um, 
uh, in an abbreviated sermon. At least that's what I've been told I need to do So for our prayer time later. So we'll see. Um, number, <laughs> number one, the blessings of the covenant. So the Lord appeared to Abram uh, some 13 years after the events of the previous chapter. We know because Ishmael is 13 years old at this point. Uh, when uh, Ishmael was born, Abram was 86. Now he's 99. Um, and you got to think about uh, Sarai, who was 89 at this point, and how long they had been waiting. God called, Ishma, uh, called Abram out of Haran, the, the land of Haran, part of modern-day uh, Turkey, uh, called him out of Haran uh, 20, almost 25 years ago, quarter of a century. I mean, when God, when God shows up to you and says, I promise I'm going to make you a great nation, you don't think a quarter century is going to go by before he does it, Right? Um, but this was part of God establishing Abram, uh, Abram's faith and walking with him. And, and God wanting to honestly kind of get to a point where it's not, it was already kind of impossible. But now it's like really, really, really impossible. Like 99 years old, right? And his wife's 89. Um, so the Lord appears. And we're not told if this was physical um, because throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, we hear uh, when God speaks, his voice speaks, oftentimes that is a representation. People will say that the Lord uh, appeared to me and said blank. Um, and so he comes and he declares, right? He says in verse 1, I am the Lord or I am God Almighty. The one, this is the one that's been speaking. He's been revealing himself up to this point as Yahweh, or in Latin, Jehovah. I am the, that's the proper name of God. Like Jewish, just people don't, aren't allowed to say that name like out loud. Um, Yahweh is, a, is God's proper name. Like my name is Bland. Um, but here he reveals himself as El Shaddai, or God Almighty. The, the word, in fact, uh, we don't know exactly how to translate this word in the uh, original Hebrew. El Shaddai uh, means God of something. And uh, we, there are some that have speculated this means God of blessing. Um, there is a reference here that could mean God of the mountain. Um, but the, but uh, the, the, the weight of it, it's, the, it's very clear that it's meant to carry some weight. God of glory, or I am almighty God. There's he, he's, he's saying, my name is Yahweh, and I am God Almighty. I am, I am uh, the God of the mountain. I am the God who blesses. Uh, and he's sliding this in because it's important if you have some huge promises, it's, it matters who makes them to you, right? If, uh, if you're walking down the street and some, some random guy walks up to you and says, I am going to bless you. I am going to give you a billion dollars and your offspring after you will bless thousands of people through this generosity and kindness. Um, if you find out that his name is Bob and he works part-time at a video game store, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to count on this one. I think this is going to come through, right? But if the guy says, yeah, my name's Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett, like you go, okay. All right, we're getting a little serious here. This might actually be legit because this person has the means and the ability to do what they're saying. And, and God is telling Abram, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. You can look to me and trust me and the promises I make. And you know God spoke to Abram because of how Abram responded. Look at the beginning of verse three. What does he do? Does he go, cool. What does he do? What was his physical response? Fell down, right? Fell on his face. Not didn't fall down like sideways or on his back. He just, he like, this is an act of, of worship. 
This is a moment of like, oh my gosh, God is speaking to me. And, and in this moment, I feel the weight of God Almighty speaking to me. And when that happens in real life, and I have uh, had moments in my life like that, and I have seen moments like that uh, in, in gatherings with other people, you don't, you don't stand there like you're receiving a weather report from the local news. And afterwards, you don't kind of mumble some song, words in a song to him. You're like, all of a sudden, it's it like when, when you sense God Almighty is speaking to you, it does something. It blows your heart up. Like you're just stunned as a human being. Um, just to give you a very practical example of this, <clears throat> I, uh, I came across this this week. Many of you knew I, I uh, had lived in Kentucky for almost 15 years. And um, there's a small Methodist college in Kentucky called Asbury. In the 1970, uh, there was a chapel service at Asbury College that just didn't stop. It went on 110 hours straight, all night long, all day long. And people from the area and uh, students from other colleges came over, and it was just like nonstop. Like God, God brought a movement. There was a revival at that, in that service. Um, well, this last Wednesday, the college is much smaller now, I think around like 13, 1,500 students. Uh, this last Wednesday, they had chapel and they were wrapping up and a few students kind of hung around and began to just kind of worship and uh, the service hadn't stopped. It's gone 24 hours a day. Um, I came across this on social media. One of Teresa's um, friends from college, her daughter is actually there. This is a picture of the, the gathering. They, they packed out standing room only, uh, 13, 1,400 people. Um, and they're going 24 hours a day. One of the scenes that I, I've seen over and over again on social media uh, and on Instagram of this is, uh, is like the front is like half the size of this room, right? And there's like a sea of people on their knees and on their faces, right? I, I've seen worship services where they can go on a long time where people are praising God and the music, and the band's like rocking out, right? And you got these awesome prayer moments and things kind of keep moving. But, but when you see people like stop and all they can do is just get on their faces before God, to me, that's a sign of God's, God being there, God Almighty being present among people. And the question I want to ask is, have you ever experienced that? Has, has God Almighty ever shown up to you and just stunned you, just knocked you flat on the ground? Because I think that that's one of the greatest experiences you can have as a Christian. And if you're, if you're like, I, I don't know, I, maybe I remember that experience like that. I, I'll be honest, I, I've been praying that God would do that for us, that God would stun us and just, just blow our hearts up with, with who he is, Right? You don't need to know a lot about him. You just kind of feel and sense and know that he is God Almighty. And that's not you. Like you, it's, it's like uh, stepping in. It's like the most awkward moment. You've, if you could imagine a scene where you, you accidentally step into the G12 summit, you know, and you're just all, not, not like the outskirts. Like you accidentally just end up in the room with the 12 presidents. And all of a sudden you just realize, oh my gosh, I should not be in this space right now. I do not, excuse me, sorry, I'm going to back out of here. But, it's, but God doesn't like run us off. He invites us in. He, he spoke to Abram because he wanted Abram to know him. I think some of you today, the greatest thing that can happen to you is God Almighty to speak. To blow away your struggles, your doubts, your fears, your anxieties and just show you who he is. You'd see him, and you'd hear him. This is, this is uh, the core of blessing in the covenant, 
is that God is the one who makes these promises. Glorious, awesome promises. And as Christians today, as as those who come not in the Abrahamic covenant, but in a completion of the Abrahamic covenant through Christ, our promises are not lands and children. Our promises is forgiveness, grace, a new kingdom, and a new family that will never end. That's the blessings of the covenant. Then we see the sign of the covenant. And God begins this, I would argue, by, by verse 5. He's, he says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but you sh- your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made your, you the father of a multitude of nations. I love this. He says, not I will make you. Do you hear that? Because only God can speak about the future as completed. I have made you the father. You, the very, your very existence right now, because I am in complete sovereign control, I have made you a father of a multitude. Remember, Abram's only got one kid right now, Ishmael, and he's not Sarah's son. Now, there's been a lot made up about uh, what Abraham meant compared to Abram. Abram in the Hebrew means like exalted or great father. Most scholars believe that it's a, it's a phonetic emphasis more than it is a tangible change of name. Like actually, And actually, God just interprets it to say, you're, you were exalted father, but now you're going to be a, a, a highly exalted father. So we, we might use the language of somebody who's a great father or a great, great father. That might, it's not a, lot of, not a lot of difference, but there's an emphasis, right? And God's placing the emphasis on Abram actually changing his name to, 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 uh, to reflect this. This was a sign. And he says the word, and, and it's awesome here because the word fruitful back in verse six, I'll make you fruitful, multiply back in verse two, um, our echo Genesis one twenty eight, God's promise to Abraham or to Adam, the first, the first promise uh, where God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then in chapter nine, verse one to Noah, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Exact same Hebrew words here. So God is saying through Abraham, I'm going to, fulfill this this command and this blessing to fill the earth and to mark this covenant and to mark all of his offspring god commands uh, circumcision he says every male among you shall be circumcised and i'm not gonna to get into this a lot but i I will say this god chose not to to mark uh, an ear or an arm or he he literally marked uh the part of the male anatomy which is used for reproduction it's a sign of the blessing that God would give to uh, his sons and his sons' sons, and by extension, his daughters and his daughters' daughters. Um, and generation after generation into the future was marked by this to remind them of the covenant that God had made. And we've heard over and over again since Genesis 12 on, God said, I'm going to bless you with land, I'm going to bless you with offspring, I'm going to bless you with land and offspring. But this is the, the richest fulfillment and the broader and deeper reality of this promise, this covenant with God, um, and the sign, really the sign is meant to be a reminder of one little phrase in verse 8. I will be their God. I will be their God, and they will be my people by extension. This is God's ultimate promise. It's not simply like, hey, I'm over here. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you some stuff. He said, no, you are my, you're going to be my people. I am going to be your God. 
That's the greatest blessing. And it's the blessing we see from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. What happens at the end of Revelation as, the, as Jesus returns and brings the new heavens and new earth? It says we see him, what? Face to face. Our God, right? And so in a very real sense, God, is, God in this through Abram is, is giving focus to what it's going to mean to, be, uh, to follow his promises, to be blessed by him. And the Abrahamic covenant bleeds into God's covenant with Moses, which is the covenant of the law, right? And then the covenant with, with Moses bleeds into the covenant with King David, where God told King David, one of your offspring will rule over, uh, rule over God's people forever. And those three covenants ultimately find their fulfillment in Jesus, who came, right, as the offspring that was promised to Abraham. And he came fulfilling the law that was given to Moses. And he came establishing a kingdom as the final and eternal king that had been promised to David. And so the invitation today is not to a religion and a bunch of rules, but it's to know and follow God. And the covenant today is a covenant of forgiveness and grace and redemption and mercy and invitation into a new kingdom and a new family. And so God establishes, or Jesus establishes a couple of signs for this. In Genesis, or in John chapter 3, he speaks about this becoming a part of this kingdom as new birth. Look at verse uh, John 3, 5, and 6. Jesus said, truly, truly, which is his way of saying, what? <laughs> truly, like, really, 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 really. I say to you, unless one is born of water, we're going to hear that water, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus is establishing baptism here. And Jesus himself established it through his own baptism. If you know the story in the early in the Gospels, Jesus went to his cousin John, the Baptist, right? <laughs> That's what he's called. Uh, and he was baptized by him. Not because Jesus needed to be baptized, but because Jesus was demonstrating the inauguration of a new kingdom, that baptism is the symbol of, the sign of entrance into. After the crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus commanded his disciples in uh, Matthew 28, make disciples, and he says, baptize in them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then in the book of Acts, when God's spirits poured out on thousands of people at Pentecost, the festival of Pentecost, Acts 2.38, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So baptism is the sign of entering into the covenant promises of God. And baptism in the uh, Greek, the original Greek means to immerse or to plunge in water. Um, I know some traditions sprinkle, but this is the, the, the real word, the mode that is established by the scriptures and by, um, by the word itself is baptism. And Romans 6 teaches us um, why that mode is important. Romans 6 says that what baptism symbolizes is that a person is, is one person um, and then they go into the water. It's a symbol, uh, Romans 6 says, of dying, going into the grave with Jesus Rising up out of the water means rising up out of the grave and rising to new life with Jesus. So that's the mode of baptism. The meaning of baptism is, um, is it is a visible symbol of the spiritual reality of new life in Christ. 
It is a visible symbol of the spiritual reality of new life with Christ. It's the outward sign of an inward change of a person. Jesus literally says, this is, this is step one if, if you've become a Christian. And if you've never been baptized, this is your next step. It's like, um, and, and to delay it is like if Abraham, if God had said, you be circumcised and every one of your descendants and, and man of your household be circumcised. And he was like, okay, we'll get to that. But that's not what he does. Look at the end of the chapter of Genesis 17. What does he do? That day. I mean, he was like, hey guys, I got an announcement. <laughs> but, 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 but look at the obedience. He's like, this is the sign. I'm going to follow through with that. If that's what God says is to be the sign of his promises to me and to all of my household, man, we want that sign. Like that's, that's obedience. And so baptism is, is meant to be a response to God's promises made to us. Now, we would we'd say, recognize that um, you know, some, some churches, some tradition uh, baptize infants and babies. Um, I, would, I would just argue scripturally, New Testament, it equates baptism and circumcision too much. There is no, no promises made connected with baptism that are guaranteed through baptizing infants. The only promises made through baptism for the forgiveness of sins, which we just read in Acts chapter two, baptism is the symbol of the forgiveness of sins. Someone who is, uh, has been forgiven of their sins. And so I, I argue if your parents baptized you, I'm not knocking that. I'm saying that they started something and you should complete it. You should complete it when, because it's your decision now, your response. Um, and we see that also because in the New Testament, and this is the beauty of it, right? Because there's not a lot of us in this room biologically related uh, through, through uh, human blood. But what Jesus establishes is not the primacy of biological family. Though it's important in the New Testament, it is not primary in God's kingdom building. The spiritual family united in the blood of Christ is the primary family. And that's why some of you who have no biological family that follow Jesus still have a family. And if you have biological family that are following Jesus, praise God. But your greatest relationship with them is not them being your biological family. It is that they are your brothers, sisters in Christ. It's kind of like husbands and wives. Husbands and wives, not a primary relationship in the kingdom of God. It is a secondary relationship. Ultimate relationship is my wife and I are brother and sister in Christ. That's what we're going to be in the new heavens and new earth. If you have more questions about baptism, want to know more about that, we have a baptism class on March 12th. Uh, there's no obligation to be baptized, but we explain our position, help you to understand it, and see it through scripture a little bit more. The other sign, which I'll introduce a little later, is communion. So if baptism is the initiation right into the family, communion is the family meal. It's the, you know, maybe, uh, not to equate this, but uh, maybe you had a family tradition where like Friday night was family night, right? Family night, you ate dinner together and you watched movies or played games or whatever it was. And you just had that tradition was established. And think about if you had that, I realize not everyone did. If you had that, how much that formed you as a person over time and oriented you towards your family. But, but we, don't have, we don't do that. We do communion, the, the bread and the cup, the Lord's Supper, which Jesus established. And I'll introduce that a little bit more at the end of the sermon. The final point uh, that we need to see from this passage is the grace of the covenant. 
I want us to be reminded of this, and I think God does here in this passage as well, of the incredible grace and the gospel nature of this covenant. It's absolutely impossible for Abram and Sarah to contribute to God's promises, right? I mean, God has waited, I think waited on purpose for a long time. So there is not even, there was no hope to begin with, and now there is really, really no hope because they're old. And we find out from the next chapter that Sarah kind of chuckles because she's like, the way of woman has long since passed for me. How can I conceive and have a child? Um, and in this situation, is so, it's so funny. God promises to Abram that this is going to happen, but he rejects Abram's effort to bring Ishmael into it. He's like, oh God, like you promised me this, but my son Ishmael, I've got a 13-year-old son, he's mine. Like we can, we can do that, can't we? And God says, absolutely not. I am not interested in your human effort to fulfill my promises to you. And I would argue God is not interested in your moral performance for him. God is not interested in your church attendance to somehow please him. That's the beauty of the gospel is he frees you up from that treadmill of performance, which our city thrives on and lives on. And is the air we breathe and the water we drink every day, right? And God says, no, 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 I don't want any of that. You can just experience my love and mercy and promises to you by believing them. Abraham, uh, verse 17 says, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man 100 years old? Shall Sarah, Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now in the next chapter, God kind of rebukes uh, Sarah for her laughter, but in this passage, God doesn't. And and so I I don't think that it was necessarily laughing. It's kind of laughing like if you won the lottery, you might laugh. Like, (laughs) really? Like, that's crazy. You know, like you kind of chuckle to yourself. Abram was like, really? Like, I'm going to be 100 years old. I'm going to be a dad, new dad. And Sarah's going to be a new mom. Like, he's, he's laughing at this. But God doesn't rebuke him. Um, and I think sometimes, like, he even delights in the fact that, that, that uh, his promises would confound us. But today, as you sit here before God, his covenant is grace to you. Christianity gets so misrepresented in the larger culture about what it's about. And I get that. Sometimes Christians reinforce that, right? <laughs> reinforce the misconceptions about Christianity as, a, as all about moral performance and things like that. But, but the gospel, the gospel that our church is rooted in, is the gospel that God promises to send his son to fulfill the, the law which we could not fulfill, to die on the cross in our place, taking the price of all of our sin. And then rising up from the grave to give us new life. And we are like Abraham with nothing to contribute. Our gifts, our talents, our wisdom are nothing to God. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is why our church's first core value and really our only core value is the gospel. Because community doesn't happen. It really ought to be gospel, gospel community, and gospel mission. Because it's all about the gospel. And you will not come here on a Sunday, as long as I'm here and the elders and leaders that are part of this church, and I hope you never get through a Sunday and not hear what the gospel is, because it's so easy for us to fall off into legalism and think that God cares about, I blew it this week, and man, I don't go to church. I guess he just wants me to feel guilty and ashamed. No, he's a loving father. He wants you to cast that stuff aside and come to him. 
God Almighty has made great promises to you. And let me tell you this, they didn't change because you blew it this week. That's why we worship, because you did blow it this week. But God does not change his promises. His promise of love for you, his mercy for you, his grace for you. And when you doubt it, and I realize there's some in this room even doubting right now, he has put his name and said, I am God Almighty. I will do what I've said for you. That's an incredible promise. I love 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And I'm gonna um, go ahead and ask you to bow your heads. And if you're struggling right now, you're just struggling to believe, you're struggling to believe these promises, you're struggling maybe in your own shame and guilt, I wanna ask you to just take a moment and ask the God who spoke to Abram to speak to you as God Almighty. up here for just a moment for Paul establishing or help reiterating what the what the, the sign of the meal or the covenant of God's people is the ongoing initiate or ongoing right of God's people he says first Corinthians 11 23 he says for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you're a Christian, we're going to move into communion, a time of taking this sign that God has given you. And it is meant to nourish your soul. It's not, it's not a lot of food. It's a tiny wafer and a tiny cup. But it's a symbol of God nourishing your soul through the body and blood of Christ. And I would say, take it today by faith, even if you don't feel it. Because you can, it's not the amount of your faith, it's the object of your faith that can change you. And God Almighty is the object of your faith today. So as a Christian, you're welcome during this next song to make your way to the front and then out through the side. We have to take communion out in the hallway and um, because we're not allowed to have food or drink in here, but you can make your way back in after you've taken it. Um, if you're not a Christian, you're not sure where you stand with God today, um, communion is really not for you. Uh, it's for someone who has, who's been baptized, who's taken that step or who is preparing to be baptized and, um, and is following Jesus today. Um, so you can either walk with the people that are with you and just sort of make your way around if that's easier, uh, or you can stay in your seat through this next song. Um, I'm going to bless the, the, the bread and the cup, and then we're going to stand and respond together. God, thank you for the covenant. Thank you for your promises. Surely we would, we would lose focus. We would be distracted. We'd be overwhelmed with discouragement. If you had not given us the gift of baptism, 
given us the sign of communion to be reminded, Jesus, of all that you did for us. You are God Almighty. I pray that we would see that today. Speak as we take the bread and take the cup in your name. Amen.